Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will continue on in the Bible series from the book of Isaiah with this message entitled, The Wells of Salvation. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 12. Now here is our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Let us pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for inviting the weak, miserable, and sinful, the lost, the confused, the hungry, the thirsty, the blind. Thank you, O God, for this good news we heard that somehow your anger has turned away. Your anger has come to an end. And you are propitiated. You are now gracious to us. And you call us to come to you in Jesus Christ. To be strengthened. To be enlightened. To be given hope. To be liberated from all the shackles of sin. Thank you, O Lord, for your great salvation. We heed your call and we come to you. Help us. No one else is able to help us. You are the helper of Israel, the savior of the world. Save us. Comfort us. Strengthen us. Help us. Give sight to the blind. Help to the sick. Give guidance to the confused. May we all look to your Son, Jesus Christ, and be saved. May we go out with singing, with joy. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to Isaiah, the 12th chapter, as we study the great Isaiahic prophecy. We have come to the 12th chapter. And it is a hymn of praise, analogous to the hymn of praise we discover in the 15th chapter of Exodus. Right after the first exodus, the people of God began to praise God in that hymn found in Exodus 15. And in chapter 11, last time we considered that God is going to stretch forth his hand and he is going to perform a second exodus. Chapter 11 and verse 11. And that exodus also produced a hymn of praise, and which is what we find in the 12th chapter. And the first 12 chapters of Isaiah deal with, first, a holy God. Second, the sin- sinfulness Not only of the people of the world, but his own people. And we read in chapter 1, 
the complaint of this great infinite personal transcendent God, hear O heavens, listen O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey, his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation. A people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. And then you come to chapter 6 where there is a revelation of the transcendent God in all his holiness. The seraphs cry out, Kodosh, 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 holy, 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 this thrice holy God. And all of a sudden, even Isaiah himself becomes extremely self-conscious of his own sinfulness. He says, I'm an unclean man. and Dwell among people who are unclean. And so that section comes to an end in chapter 12. So there is this holiness of God and sinfulness of man. And what's going to happen? The only just thing that should happen is to destroy the sinful people. But that's not what is happening. God in his grace is saving people and there is this great hymn of praise. Because in spite of all this holiness of God and sinfulness of man, he also spoke about a virgin-born son, Emmanuel, the branch, the Messiah, who as mighty God and Prince of Peace will reign on David's throne in justice and righteousness. And we are told that he would bring about a second exodus in which both Israel and the nations will experience God's salvation. In that future day, the Messiah, God's people, that future day of the Messiah, God's people with joy will draw water out of the wells of salvation. The question you must ask and we must ask is this, how can sinful people experience from a holy God such abundant salvation? So I want to speak to you three things from this 12th chapter. Salvation accomplished because it says God was angry, but his anger is turned away. But we are not given much explanation of it. Salvation accomplished. Uh, secondly, salvation appropriated by the people. And thirdly, salvation celebrated. So first, salvation accomplished. Isaiah here says... God was angry, but his anger is turned. I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away. 
And you have comforted. Right there, people have problem. C.H. Dodd had problem. All great unbelieving theologians have problem. What are you what are you saying? God angry? I thought God is love. This whole idea of the wrath of God should be excised from the scripture. God is love. God is nice. Well, the scripture says he's angry at sinners every day. Psalm 7 verse 11. The truth is the wrath of God is hanging over him. Man's heart is desperately wicked. He is a fool. Believes there is no God. The Bible declares, and I believe in God's infallible word, that every inclination of the thought of his heart is only evil all the time. He lives and moves and has his being in God, yet he refuses to worship and serve God who gave him existence. St. Paul tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God is truly angry. The wages of sin is death. Man refuses to know God truly, even though God has revealed himself in his creation. And we are told that he is daily and moment by moment, he is actively engaged in suppressing the truth of God that wells up within him. He is a truth fighter. He affirms himself and denies the infinite personal God who created all things and upholds all things by the word of his power. And he worships creation rather than creator who is blessed forever. I want to tell you, God is angry. That sinner, every day, every moment, he's angry. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God is wrathful, God is holy, God must judge. And the history of man is also a history of God's judgment upon the wicked people, beginning with the flood. So let us turn to chapter 5, and here, chapter 5 and 6, tells us seven woes pronounced upon the people of God who would not know him. Love him, serve him, worship him. Chapter 5, verse 8. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field. Verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks. And verse 18. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit. Verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Isn't that true? Isn't that what is going on today? Good is evil and evil is good. And verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. We look upon our own belly button and we congratulate ourselves. Verse 22, woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions and at mixing drinks. Isn't that the height of modern man's celebratory life? 
And then in chapter 6, Isaiah speaks a word to himself. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. But here we are told he was angry, but his anger has turned away. Let's praise God. I think that's good news. And he will tell us how this happened later on. The the second section of Isaiah chapter 40 through chapter 55, it tells us how this happened. In terms of the work of the suffering servant. How can this be the case? God is holy. He's transcendent. He is all holy, all just, all wise. Holiness is the sum of all his attributes. God is holy. He must punish sinners, but his anger is turned away because of his love for sinners. In Exodus chapter 34, God gives a description of himself. It is good to listen to his own description of himself. He is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Here then, brought in just a position, God's love and God's justice. But somehow God has found a way to punish sinners in another, in a substitute. That is the teaching of the Old Testament in terms of the sacrificial system. And we see this in the first Exodus in chapter 12. Every family is to take a lamb and kill the lamb. And receive the blood in a vessel. And apply it upon the doorposts and crossbeam. And at midnight, the angel of death passes through Egypt. And he is going to kill you. Unless he sees the blood sprinkled. That's what Passover is. But when he sees the blood, because a substitute died, he passes over. And you praise God, he passed over you. You are saved. You are saved. That's the idea. And on the day of atonement, they took one lamb representing the whole nation. And his blood was sprinkled upon the top of the ark upon the mercy seat. And then St. John tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world, one Lamb, removing the sin of the world. Yes, he has found a way out. The anger has turned away from you, but it came and rested upon another. A suitable substitute, the only mediator, our great representative. Well, when you turn to Isaiah chapter 6, we are given a glimpse of this. Here is the unclean prophet and the unclean people, full of sin and guilt, 
And God commissions this seraph to take a live coal and listen from the altar and touched the lips of Isaiah. And by that touch, it is stated and declared, your guilt is taken away. That's the amazing thing. Your guilt is taken away. You are cleansed, you are forgiven, you are justified. You are qualified to be a prophet. Yes, again, the idea is, the anger is, has turned away from you. But it did come upon a substitute. And then you read on the book of Isaiah. Let's turn to the 53rd chapter. There it is stated in complete clarity concerning the suffering servant, the Messiah. Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 4, Surely he took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But you see, Isaiah gives here interpretation, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And verse 11, 11, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. And the last verse, for he bore the sins of many. This is where we must find explanation for this amazing passing over of God's anger and wrath. Turn with me to another prophet, contemporary of Isaiah, prophet Micah. Micah chapter 6, it tells us something about the cost of redemption. Micah 6, beginning with verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God so that God will accept me? With what? This is the question. With what can I come? What shall I come before him? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? What is the answer? No. He's not going to accept your offerings. But, verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with what? Thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer, well, this is pretty good, shall I offer what? My firstborn for my transgression. Well, we saw that in Genesis chapter 22. Isaac was bound and about to be killed. God said, no. No. Your firstborn son will not do it. 
It is the firstborn son of God. His own son will do it. He is the true substitute. Now, verse 8. He has showed you, a man, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. In other words, you want to come and have fellowship with me? You must come in perfect righteousness. That's the only way. Well, but the truth is, we have sinned. We are sinners. We believe in the pervasiveness of sin. We sin daily. So there is no substitute on earth. So there came one from heaven. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man and as a sin offering. Turn with me to First John and let me tell this preached this book through so you should know chapter 2 First John my dear children I write this to you so that you will not sin but if anybody does sin we have one we have an advocate with the father why do you need an adv- advocate now we have advocates in our church why do you need that people are in trouble people are in trouble see I never had an advocate because I never was in trouble <laughs> But we find advocates for people who are in trouble. We were in trouble. But praise God, we have an advocate. And here it is. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, you see. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. He is the propitiation. He is the sacrifice that brought about atonement and reconciliation so that the wrath of God is turned away. And he is now gracious to us. And it is clearly told us in, by St. Paul in the book of Romans. It is good to take a look at it and glory in it. In chapter Romans 3, I will read to you. From verse 23 on, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a propitiation, that is, sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Let's praise God. The anger is, has turned away. He was angry with me. But then we are told his anger is turned away. There should be a sentence in the middle. And the anger was poured upon his own son. Our propitiation. The anger of God has turned away from us to his own son. Christ died for our sins and was raised for our justification. We needed water of life. We were thirsty. Remember that story. They were thirsty in the wilderness. And a rock was smitten. 
And we are told by St. Paul that rock, that smitten rock, from which rivers of water gushed out and followed them every day of their life, was Christ. That's the story here. Christ the rock was smitten on the cross and rivers of living water gush out of him for the whole world. And now all sinners who die of thirst are invited to come and drink and live. God's anger has turned. And this is, we are told this would happen in chapter 10 and verse 25 of Isaiah. But here it has turned. God's anger has turned in love. He comforts all sinners. Notice in chapter 12. I will praise you, O Lord, although for although you were angry with me. There should be a for. Which NIV doesn't, but there is a for. There is a reason for. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. And what? You have comforted me. Oh, it is the comfort of forgiveness. It is the comfort of justification. It is the comfort of sanctification. It is the comfort of reconciliation. It is the comfort of adoption. It is the comfort of union with Christ. He is the vine. We are the branches. Hallelujah. It is the comfort of the Holy Spirit who is in the sinner who believes in Jesus Christ. His anger is turned away. He comforts us now. Hallelujah. He was against us, but now he is for us. He is a physician. He is a savior. He is a shepherd. He is our life. It is the comfort of God's presence. God was angry. God was away from us. But now God is with us. Why is that? Because the sin problem is dealt with. We are called saints. Look at verse 6. Here it is. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. What's the reason? Uh, see, NIV puts the four there now. You know, it doesn't put sometime, it does put. Other times, for great is the Holy One of Israel. Where? In the midst. This is the miracle. God is now in the midst. (laughs) Why? Sin problem has been dealt with. Now he can have fellowship with us and we can have fellowship with him. God has accomplished salvation for us. Let me tell you. He is the author, he is the cause, and he is the agent, and he is the accomplisher. He is everything. And now he gives us salvation gratis. Secondly, salvation is appropriated. It is one thing to have our salvation accomplished. Remember the story in the Bible. The feast is ready. Everything is ready. You didn't have to worry about the calf. You didn't have to worry about the food. You didn't have to worry about everything. It's all done. But sinner must appropriate salvation that is accomplished. Israelite had to kill the Passover lamb, blood received in a vessel and applied to the sides and 
tops of the door frames of the house. He must close the door. He must stay inside and he must eat the meat of the lamb that is slain. If not, he would die. The feast is ready. But you must come as a guest and eat. There is, in other words, personal responsibility. Oh yes, I believe in the Reformed teaching of the effectual calling. God accomplishes redemption and he applies it. And turn with me to chapter 12 and verse 1. In that day you will say, every elect of God will confess, because everyone will be saved. Oh yes, he draws you. If I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And we will come, yes. And we will eat. And we will drink. We will believe, we will trust, but that doesn't negate the biblical obligation that you must believe. There is personal responsibility. The water is now available, but the thirsty must come and drink. Those bitten by snake in the wilderness, those who are now dying must look up to the brazen serpent lifted up in order that they be healed. And the Philippian jailer in the middle of the night asked the question, What must I do to be saved? There's something you must do. And what is the answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. And don't come and tell me that you contribute to the salvation. Absolutely false. When you are a sinner, as Martin Luther said, you lift up here the beggar's hand to receive from him your salvation. You contribute nothing, but we receive it. Hindu sinners must come and drink. Jewish sinners, Muslim sinners, Christian sinners, Buddhist sinners, all sinners must believe in Jesus Christ, crucified, that you may be saved. Now, otherwise, the anger of God is not turned away from you. Turn with me to St. John's Gospel in chapter 3 and verse 36. This is what we read. And I want to tell you, if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, this is your story. Here it is. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. He must make atonement, and it will never happen, because you sinned against an infinite God, and your sin is infinite. And you are a sinner to begin with. Again, look to the 12th chapter of Isaiah, and see the language of appropriation. Chapter 12. It says, you have comforted me, verse 1. Remember that? He was angry with me, but now he has comforted me. Look at chapter 2. God, surely God is my salvation. In other words, the person appropriated, he believed, he trusted in Jesus Christ alone for his salvation. My salvation. What an affirmation. What glorious indicative. Surely. Behold that is in the Hebrew. Behold. Surprise. Wonder of wonders. God. 
God is my salvation. And not only that, it says in verse 2, I will trust. Hebrew word is batach. It has this meaning, I will commit myself to God, and so I will be totally secure forever. This is called saving faith. I put myself upon God. I trust in Him for everything. Past, present, future. It's not enough to have information of the gospel. It's not enough to even to give mental assent to that information. That Christ died. For the sins of the world and so on. But there has to be faith is trust. Fides est fiducia. Faith is trust. It is entrustment of myself to him. This is saving faith. That's the language of appropriation. I will trust. Remember in chapter 7, God sent Isaiah to speak to the son of David Ahaz who was in serious trouble. And he was shivering. His knees were knocking. And Isaiah gives the gospel. And he refuses to trust. And turn with me to chapter 7 and verse 9. Here is a profound statement. The latter part of verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith. In other words, if you do not believe, you will not stand at all. That is always the truth. There is the gospel is coming to you. If you don't believe in the gospel, you will not what? Stand at all. You will fall. You will fall. And so that's the language of appropriation. Number four, he says, I will not be afraid of anything. Trust and fear are opposites. Now, fear of death is gone. We are delivered from God's wrath. And a believer therefore says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And then comes the glorious shout of jubilation. Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, turn with me to Romans 8, and let me read again to you a chapter which many of us have memorized. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness or danger? Verse 37, knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced beyond a shadow of doubt, convinced yesterday, convinced today and convinced tomorrow. What is it? And here he asks the question, neither death, he puts death first, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I will not be afraid. Christ triumphant. After his resurrection, he tells everybody, what is it? Fear not. Fear not. 
because I live, you will live also. Death has been destroyed forever by his death on the cross and liberated us once and for all. And not only that, look at the language of appropriation. Chapter 2, here is the language of appropriation. The Lord... The Lord, that's emphasis. In other words, he alone is the author of this salvation. The Lord, the Lord is what? My strength. That's what I said. Weary and weak, you can come. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengtheneth me. He injects into us his strength. And it will make you strong. And you shall rise. You shall stand. You shall fight. It's my strength. Who? The Lord. The Lord. Not my wife. Not my husband. Not my children. Not my neighbor. Not the president. Nobody. They all are human beings. Let God be true. And all men liars. The Lord. The Lord. Is my strength. And not only that. My song. Hallelujah. That's what, you know, when you appropriate this salvation in Jesus Christ, you are strong. And you begin to sing first time in your life. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. The same rich like me. Hallelujah. I was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but I'm alive. Song. Oh, yes. He is my strength. Not he gives me strength. He is my strength. He is my song. And he is my salvation. Let me tell you, no wonder he said he comforted me. This is comfort. When we appropriate God's salvation by faith, we are strong. We are made strong in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are full of joy. Joy of the Holy Spirit. That we sing a new song. Oh, not the old song. But there's a new song. Based on God's new, redemptive, glorious deeds of his incarnation. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his session. It's a new song. We are not afraid. Why should I be afraid? God is pleased with us in Jesus Christ. He forgave my sins. He justified me. He made me his sons and daughters. He removed from us every cause for fear. And look at verse 3. With the joy he will draw water out of the wells of salvation. Hallelujah. You see, in the, in the desert, in the wilderness, the people murmured. And every time they murmured, what happened? They got water. <laughs> but here, the murmur is gone. Here, with the joy, we draw water out of the wells of salvation. Not that we quenched our thirst once when we came and trusted in Christ. But this is God's provision for all of life. Oh yes, the wells of salvation. That speaks about abundance. It's not trickling down. The abundance of it. And you come 
Whenever you want, it's there. When you are weary, when you are weak, when you are confused, when they persecute you, when you are anxious, you come to him and start drinking. Hallelujah. And how do you drink? With the joy, man, with joy. Out of the wells of salvation. Praise you, God. And you drink, and you drink, and you drink. And St. Paul did that. He said, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengtheneth me. St. John tells us of his fullness. We received grace upon grace upon grace. Wave after wave after wave of mercy and grace. Coming to you at that point of your need. Here flows to you rivers of water of life. So that... You can produce fruit, more fruit, much fruit. You can bring forth 30, 60, and what? Hundredfold. God of wrath has become God of my salvation. Not merely he gives you salvation. That's not what it says. It says what? He is my salvation. He is my life. He is my hope. He is my life. He is my light. He is. He is. I don't know. You should read 87th chapter. Psalm 87. And the last line says. All of my springs of joy are in you. All of my springs of joy are in you. And you should read the introduction to. First Peter, Second Peter, and Jude, uh, and Jude, the first verse of this. And it says this amazing statement. Grace, peace, mercy, and love be what? What is it? Multiplied to you. Oh, I like multiplication. <laughs> Better than addition. Better than subtraction. Better than division. What is it? Multiplied to you. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. But I have come that you may have what? Life and have it more abundantly. Oh, this is, this is abundant life. Abundant life. He was angry with us. But wonder of wonders. His anger has turned away. He comforts me now. He's my strength. He's my song. It's a song in the morning. It's a song at noon. It's a song in the evening. There's a song in the winter times. There's a song when you are about to die. There's a song. And he's our salvation. Strength, song, and salvation. And I will not be afraid. You know, young people, older people, well... There are times we may feel afraid. But I hope you will listen to the sermon I preached. I will trust in him and not be afraid. How do you know that you trusted in him? How do you know? It's a negation. You will not be afraid. Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us to believe in your son, Jesus Christ. 
the only substitute, God-man, virgin son, Emmanuel, God with us. He is the savior of the whole world. He died for us and he lives for us. He is for us who can be against us. And nothing in all the world is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We hope in you. We trust in you. We are the people of that eschatological day. And we now say, I praise thee, O Lord. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Come back soon for more biblical teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.